I've been able to know that if I continue on with the path where I'm at and the habits where I'm at, it's only going to get worse. So we can look at where we're at and say, okay, is it really worth it to move forward? Is it really worth it to start eating healthy? Is it really worth it to go and start hanging out with those people who intimidate me? Yes, it's always worth it because where you're at right now doesn't get better if you don't do something actionable and make progress. It only gets worse. So if we don't put action in to get better, your life doesn't get better. You move backwards. So if you're not okay with where you're at now, you really won't be okay with where you're at in uh, six months or a year. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and I'm here to inspire your true performance from the platform and within the framework established by Zig Ziggler, one of the top motivators and personal development leaders our world has ever seen. Today, we talk with Lori Harder about the power, necessity, and opportunity of having a tribe. Of course, we start out with her personal story, her personal development. How did she make it from zero to hero in essence? But it's just an irrefutable fact that people with strong social circles live longer, happier, healthier lives. But how do you achieve this for your own life? Well, that's what we cover and just a really a massively equipping conversation in this show. I asked Lori to join me because she has one of the top ranked health podcasts on the planet called Earn Your Happy. And then she recently published a book titled A Tribe Called Bliss. that's massively inspiring a lot of people. And that's what I wanted to focus on today after we covered her personal story. She grew up in an unhealthy, uninspiring home. It compelled her to go a radically different direction. She started off in the fitness world, ultimately became a three-time fitness world champion. She's been featured on the cover of the world's top fitness magazines as a model uh, 18 times, published articles in those magazines as well. But all that to me seems a small beginning compared to where she's gone from there. She now has $2 million businesses and is a self-proclaimed personal development junkie. I mean, friends, I, I read and review a lot of books. But this book from Lori, A Tribe Called Bliss, I asked for more books. She sent me a stack of them. I took some home. My wife actually dove in and ended up giving the books to her tribe, some women that she meets with regularly. Lori just has really powerful insights that I'll wager you'll find yourself lacking in some areas, but massively empowered by Lori to pursue and conquer those very areas. Personally, she just got me looking again at my own things, uh, some things around boundaries or my lack thereof and how I deal with expectations and relationships. And it's helping me build my healthier tribe and just really commit to that, recommit to that again, because of the power that again, I, she can't deny it. Ultimately, Lori's book and message is based off the concept that you become who you are surrounded with. Uh, you know, you become the sum of the five people you are closest with. You can uh, get the book, A Tribe Called Bliss, of course, anywhere you buy books, but you can connect with Lori at a tribe called bliss.com a tribe called bliss.com. All right. So I'm going to dive in with Lori after I share some really good resources with you. Okay, friends here. Now I bring you Lori harder. Well, Lori, it is a, a gift to have you on here as I, and we're going to get into your personal story, but I know you have such a heart for people, such a heart for inspiring folks, lifting them up. That's why you are here. That's why people listen to our show. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, 
Ooh, I'm so excited to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, we're going to get into the, your message and the things that you're doing right now, but I want to go back, which I know you do, uh, with people to tell your personal story. It's what Zig Ziglar did, you know, to start Mm -hmm. off there and let people know where you're coming from and your personal development story. I mean, before you came to the place that you're at today, and you talk about this in your bio, small town in Michigan, an overweight kid and an overweight family blamed on bad genetics teased about your weight and your religion in school and that your family's religion didn't allow for sports or extracurricular activities. So not a hugely auspicious start to where you Mm -hmm. are today. So take us back there. And I'm wondering at that, when you're in the midst of that, that, you know, that's the programming of life for so many of us that shapes who we are. When did you get the idea of maybe that wasn't all you had to accept? Mm, such a good question. Um, because I, this goes back to what I truly believe about people, about human beings. And that is that we all have that voice or that inner calling or that feeling that speaks to us, no matter what environment you're in, no matter what you're surrounded by once in a while, you'll get that little voice or that feeling of maybe there's more. Or maybe I'm supposed to do more. Or could this happen? Almost that feeling of, for me, it feels like like this massive flush comes into your body of vitality, of like feeling alive, of feeling awake, of feeling super vibrant. And sometimes it's just a moment. And you'll get those moments and be like, what was that? You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I do, but that's not something that a kid in an environment like that, and I, I don't, yes. I don't have the right, I don't know enough about it to call it oppressed, but it wasn't positive as you've outlined it to yes. have any mm-hmm. kind of an inkling in that point mm-hmm. is rare. And that's where the curiosity is of that's a, an environment, a circumstance that will overcome a lot of people. It didn't you, we may not know exactly mm-hmm. why, but I'm wondering where was that point where you went, you yes. know what, something, something woke up. Yes. So for me, what ended up happening is because I was made fun of because of my weight, the initial thing that we do as human beings is want to figure out how to protect ourselves. Yeah. So I thought, okay, what's a way that I cannot be made fun of anymore for being overweight or for being a chubby kid? And it was to exercise. So my older sister had started doing uh, workout VHS tapes at the time. And I would watch her working out and be like, well, if I want to see if this can help at all, I should probably do this. So I would start exercising with her. And within those moments, I really believe that movement is the beginning of a spiritual awakening. It's really the beginning of being able to feel what I talked about in the beginning more often. Um, Those times of it feels like confirmation that there is more. So the more that I realized I could have a little bit of control in not only how I looked, but I was starting to notice right away, even as a young kid, the correlation between movement and feeling better. Because right away as a kid, I experienced a lot of anxiety. And on the days that I would exercise, I noticed that I didn't feel as anxious. I didn't feel as um, depressed or sad or as fearful because I just always walked around a bit nervous, like even nervous uh, to talk to people that I didn't know, nervous in social settings. Um, Because I think what happens is when you do get picked on at a young age, I started to associate um, connection and interaction with people and with kids as, oh, bad things can happen when you're in, 
um, you know, a group of people. So I started to get nervous whenever I would be in groups of people or groups at school through, cause I was homeschooled through high school, but not through elementary and middle school. Um, and a lot of times that's, you just, when I'd get around people, that's when I would be open to criticism. So anytime around people, I started to get anxious because if it wasn't people in my religion or um, within my family, I didn't feel safe. And then even in my religion, kids were making fun of me. So um, it was the exercise that really made me go, wow, okay, so movement makes me feel better, makes me feel less anxious. And it always, and it also makes me feel like it lets me tap into that space where I can almost see a bit of what my future is supposed to be. And I started to dream from that space of, well, maybe I could be, um, you know, maybe I could be someone who could inspire people through fitness. Maybe I could show them that they can feel better through losing weight. And this is kind of where that whole fitness journey started was because it was just making me feel sane at first. Goodness. Okay. Well, part of my question was going to be how your family interacted with that. Cause you've got a, pe- a group of people, as you know, you've got a culture who's set in one area. When someone deviates from that, there's often pressure, but I'm hearing that maybe you had one person, a sister who kind of gave you permission to mm-hmm. pursue something different. Did, was the rest of the family good with that or were there, were there any pressures from them? Um, you know, I will tell you that the journey of my family, even my sister has been off, off again, on again with, um, fitness, wellness, health. It's always been binge dieting to binge eating. Um, so that's what I saw my entire life. It was like, we would be on a diet one week and then we'd go off for a month, but it was habitual dieting because they wanted to lose weight too. You know, my whole family was overweight, except it became such a, a, a negative relationship around food that also the idea of it started to be like, oh, that food is bad. <laughs> the yeah. second you're on a diet, you're miserable and you talk about how miserable you are and you're all miserable together. And then one person goes off and they try to get you all off because they're like, you know, you connect, we connected over food. We bonded yeah. over food. Food was literally our thing. So, you know, one of the things that I love to talk about uh, with this, because I, I believe it's one of the biggest challenges and it's also why I talk a lot about tribe and the people around you is because I saw that in order for me to really make big changes in my health and how I felt that I had to remove myself from being with my family all of the time. Hmm. And this was as a teenager, because what would happen is I would get these great habits. I'd feel great all day. And then in the evening, um, they would all be eating something that I didn't want to be eating. And then at night, they wouldn't be going out to go exercise or go for a walk ever. It was sitting and watching TV all night and having one, two, three, four. It was not unusual for us to be in the kitchen five or six different times yeah. eating different things all night long. Um, and I know I share this story with so many people, you know, eating from dinner until the second you go to bed, just always having something to eat. This was the story. So for me, I couldn't withstand that environment. I didn't have the habits that were strong enough for that. And I, I believe that you could even put someone with really strong habits into that environment daily and they would break down because you become the people that you're around no matter what after a certain amount of time, especially if it's one against four or five, you know? (laughs) So for me, I started doing things like um, making my own dinner and going for walks after dinner, going rollerblading or being out all night long until I had to go to bed. And this was 
this was a, a challenging time of life just because my mom really wanted me to be with family, hmm. but I would be fighting with her because I was, I was noticing I felt so much better when I was moving. And I was like, I don't want to just watch TV with you. That's not being with you guys. So I really withdrew. And this is where some people are like, well, if that's your family or your relationships, isn't it about putting family first? And the thing is, is that I could see where we were going because they were already there. They were already anxious. They were already depressed. They were already 100, 150, 200 pounds overweight. And that is not what I wanted for my life. So I truly felt like it was time to save myself in order to potentially even maybe save them later. So I withdrew majorly from my teenage years into my 20s until I felt strong enough to be able to go back into those environments more frequently um, and be able to go back and either talk to them or be the light for them or even now, um, you know, way into the future, but even to be able to financially provide for them now because I withdrew myself for so long that I'm grateful that I did that. But that's the road, I believe, between where you're at and where you want to go is there's a transition period that does not feel good. It doesn't feel good because sometimes it's, it's leaving people behind somewhat that you love in order to become the person, you know, you're supposed to be. Okay. Well, I can't leave that. That's too big of an issue right there because we know in the, I could say the personal development industry, but I am uh, like you very invested in the health and wellness and fitness industry. And we see somebody change their diet alone. Let's, let's just start right. Let's just go with that. The simple one, the diet of going from the average American diet, even the decent American diet, they're so-called decent and going to something that's truly healthy of going to natural foods of going to uh, whole foods and, you know, and, and and high fat and, and, uh, or good, the good fat, all those things that we can lay out gluten-free, whatever you want to call it to put those mm-hmm. over here, that is isolating. And I see that as one mm-hmm. of the biggest factors that deter people because yeah, it feels bad and it feels judgmental. And these mm-hmm. people are people that you love. Now you hear you experienced it in a very acute way. I mean, this is at home. You don't have a way to escape. I can escape more as an adult, uh, from mm-hmm. my coworkers, from, from whatever, but you had it in such a significant way. Just Speak to that a little bit, the cultural pressures and that separation and that isolation, because we have people who want to make these changes, but they're dealing with what you do and yet they're stuck there. Um, Just speak a little bit more to some of the, I don't even know if it's the how to of just maybe commiserating with the reality of that, but that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, number one, there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel, but there is a period of, (laughs) There's this point where, and I always use this analogy because it's, it's truly how I felt like you're, you're standing on an Island and you can see another Island and you, there is a rope bridge and it's rickety and it's missing like all of its steps and it looks like it's going to fall apart and it's super scary. And you're standing on one Island and you can just see flashes of this other Island and your heart feels like it was supposed to be born over there. And it looks better and it's bright and it's always sunshiny (laughs) and you're standing at the edge and it's like, people are kind you can hear them calling you over, like, come over here. This is where you're supposed to be. And you're like, "Mm, uh, it looks really good. But like, as soon as I start this journey, that bridge looks scary. I don't know what to expect. Like, I don't want to cross the bridge and you look behind you and there's people saying, don't go over there. 
it's not fun. You'll never be able to make it. You're never, ever, ever going to be able to cross that bridge. People have died. You're going to fail. Your uncle tried it. He failed. And if you go over there, you're leaving us. And you're leaving us. Exactly. So what happens is if you keep on looking forward, though, and you keep on trying to listen to people who are on the other side and get advice and try to hear what they're saying, a lot of times they'll say, hey, I get it. We crossed it, too. We were actually born on that side as well. But we crossed. We took that first step. And when you go about a minute into it, there's going to be a step that you're going to think you're going to want to turn around. But here's what you're going to do. You're going to look up. You're not going to look down. We're going to give you some advice from here on out. All you have to do is take the first step. You're going to keep looking up. You're going to keep getting advice from us. When the tough stuff comes, you're going to keep going. And that's what I always feel like is there's that transition period of, Who are you going to fill um, on the other side? What are you going to be listening to that's going to pull you through that darkness? Because there's going to be a point where you feel completely alone and it's going to feel like it's not worth it. But what you have to remember, I've always had this weird thing. And so this is what I try to teach people. I've been able to know that if I continue on with the path where I'm at and the habits where I'm at, it's only going to get worse. So We can look at where we're at and say, okay, is it really worth it to move forward? Is it really worth it to start eating healthy? Is it really worth it to go and start hanging out with those people who intimidate me? Yes, it's always worth it because where you're at right now doesn't get better if you don't do something actionable and make progress. It only gets worse. So if we don't put action in to get better, your life doesn't get better. You move backwards. So if you're not okay with where you're at now, you really won't be okay with where you're at in uh, six months or a year. So I believe that progress is what makes humans happy, whether that's, it doesn't have to be all areas at once. It can be small, even small progress makes us happy. So it's knowing that, you know, looking back at my life, people are like, oh, you know, how did you, how did you get this life? And I'm like, okay, well, my, this journey started when I was eight. So 30 years, it took me 30 years and I'm still on it. There's still so much that, I mean, it doesn't matter what comes up. I'm, I went and traveled for um, three weeks in Europe. And let me tell you what that brought up around food and habits and control, like having, you know, zero control over anything that you're eating and not being in your normal workout routine, not having gyms. It's like, there are so many things that can always consistently knock you out. But if you have this through line, knowing that as long as you're moving, as long as you are, um, making sure that you're somewhat taking care of yourself, you're going to be moving forward. Like just making sure you're making some sort of progress. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Okay. So you mentioned the word transition multiple times. So as you went, I'm going to jump back to your story. As you went through this transition in your life, uh, I want to hit to the ultimate transformation. So Mm. we're hearing about how it made you feel different inside. Now it also, I'm sure transformed you physically. And when you're a Mm -hmm. kid, that is the focal point. And you share that in the book where you went swimming and they referred to you as whale. I mean, that's a significant Mm -hmm. thing. So now at some point, your literal physical image has changed as your personal image has changed. But I want to ask about that because I have a little understanding that I was the Husky kid, uh, Mm. as, as growing up too. And, you know, later on became a pro athlete and I probably averaged, you know, 10 or 11% body fat most of my adult life. Wow. But 
I'm 47. I still relate to that kid. I still have a visual image in there and it surprises me, uh, but it still is there. So I'm wondering as you went on, where was the journey there internally to where you really saw yourself Mm. differently, even after you already became different in a sense? Oh, this is such a good question because so many people think that if a woman or man is fit or is thin that they must, you know, especially if that's the background that they come from, Mm -hmm. that that might must be the answer to everything. Right. And we see that a lot in the world right now, especially with Instagram and Facebook. It's like, Oh my God, if you're beautiful, if you're thin, you must have everything. And that's the thing is you said you still had that relationship with that Husky kid. I, I didn't know that I looked fit until I saw pictures after I did a fitness competition. Like I knew I was fit, but I had no idea that I had even transformed because I didn't take that time to really transform completely inside. I was so convinced still, and this is, this is the beginning actually of my self-development journey in my um, mid twenties, because what happened is yes, while you're changing and you are transforming internally, if you're so focused on the external, I was literally just so focused on the external because I believed that it was armor. So I thought if I got really fit, if I improved my looks, if I felt a certain way that nobody could penetrate this armor, that I would, you know, nobody would be able to make fun of me, that I would be happy, that I would be feeling content and it couldn't be further from the truth. So, you know, I arrive at this destination of um, this body and winning fitness competitions and, Um, all of a sudden I now feel so attached to this identity of being fit because what happened is when I became fit and when I started doing competitions, um, I started getting seen for it for the first time ever. Like I started feeling, um, important. I started feeling love. I started feeling like, wow, this is the attention I've always wanted my entire life. So not only was I not being made fun of, but I was getting all of this really positive attention. Oh, you must be so disciplined. Oh, that's amazing. You're such an inspiration. So then it was like, oh my God, if I'm not always this fit, then I'm going to be a failure. So it switched immediately from, wow, I don't even know I'm fit to, oh my God, I'm fit. I can't be anything else. I'm not going to be loved anymore. Yeah. It went from, I'm not going to be loved if I'm overweight to, I'm not going to be loved if I'm not fit. So that's when the internal work came because I had reached the point that I thought I wanted to reach. I had won all these competitions. I had uh, been on magazine covers and yet I still wasn't feeling internally um, like it was enough and that I was enough. And that's really when I started diving into self-development because I was seeing this trend with the women that I was training. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel like I was enough. I didn't really see that as like fit or uh, complete or content until much later on in my, probably my later twenties where I was like, I have got to start detaching my identity from my body because it was so a part of that the whole time. So a lot of self-development, a lot of self-love, a lot of self-work and a ton of events, books, podcasts. That was huge. So I want to stick on that, on this track, but I am curious just back there. We kind of breeze by that you won fitness competitions and you're a cover model and some of those things. I mean, those are big achievements. Those, Mm -hmm. uh, established you, I assume in many ways, was there Mm -hmm. any specific, was it just a gradual progression of doing the work, uh, having success? Was there any specific big break along the way? 
Mm. You know what? I, I love sharing my story around this because there not, was no specific big break ever. And let me tell you, I was waiting for it mm. <laughs> because I watched as some of the, the girls I competed with, they like, it was like a year into competing and they got a cover right away. And I was like, what? this is my fifth year. Like what's going on? Um, so it, it was about a six year journey of me competing. I did anywhere from three to five competitions a year, which is a lot. Most people do like one to two. Um, so to put your body through, that was a ton. And I had placed uh, well in the beginning, but I never won anything. And then I went through a period where I didn't do well at all. And I thought I wanted to quit. Um, and what happened in between there was actually, so yeah, there were some major turning points for me for being able to win that. So um, what ended up happening is detachment from the outcome for me because I wanted to win so bad and I wanted to, um, God, I, I wanted to be um, a fitness inspiration. I wanted to be on the covers of these magazines because magazines were what got me through the dark periods when I was a teenager, I would read and read and read. Mm. I would be so connected to these stories of hope of if they can do it, I can do it too. I would go to the library and read all of these muscle and fitness things that these women were doing. I would read um, all these different stories of women from, you know, underdog past who were doing incredible things with fitness. And so what happened is when I finally in the middle, when I, when I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like I'm not doing really well. I've done this for years. This is so hard on your body. I, I'm not winning. I'm not placing like, why am I even doing this? And I asked myself that, why am I doing this? And I was like, so I can be an inspiration to people. And I had gotten away from that. It became so I can have a title. It became so I can feel seen. It became, you know, it's going to bring me something. Um, and when I finally got the answer of why am I doing this? It was, I really want to inspire people. I want to, I want to have community. I want to change people's lives. I want to let them know there's hope. And I want to know that they can, no matter where they came from. Yeah. And I said, I can do that right now. Why do I need these competitions to even do that? Like, why do I need to be going through this to do that? So took a tiny break and started a uh, one-on-one gym. And started doing uh, like women's events on the weekend. I started uh, training one-on-one. I started doing all these group workouts. I started doing a lot of just talks and things like that around worthiness, around worth in the middle of this, actually, to these people. I was giving them what I actually needed to be doing. <laughs> yeah. So when I detached from it and I felt so, it was it was about, um, it was probably the, the last two years of competing. I felt so incredibly content with where I was at in my fitness journey of community that when I actually went back and competed, I no longer had this attachment to the outcome and decided I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be fun. And I wanted to make this journey um, something that was more about uh, something that I wanted to do and inspiring. And I'm telling you, it, it flipped like a switch and I ended up winning like three different big competitions that year. Wow. Because I just didn't put the pressure on myself anymore. And this, it was for a different reason. It yeah. was for a different reason. So I also know I needed to show up the way that I did in the beginning to find what I needed to find in the middle yeah. <laughs> and to figure it out at the end. But then at the end, I still thought I was supposed to get something, right? I was supposed to feel different. I was supposed to feel a shift if I had this title. Yeah. And I didn't feel any different. And that was a huge awakening moment for me of dang, <laughs> like, 
you don't feel any different. So you really better figure out why you're doing this and what you're doing it for. And that's when I dove even deeper into, okay, community. I want to inspire people, but I also want to love myself um, regardless, regardless of if this is a title or not. Cause I still felt very attached to accomplishment because the way I grew up, I wasn't, you know, I wanted to dance. I couldn't be a dancer. I wanted to sing. I couldn't sing. I wanted to do all of these extracurricular things, but we weren't allowed to do any of those things. And I never accomplished anything like education wasn't important because it was about dedicating your life to the religion, to going door to door to, you know, things like that. When I felt this I was like, I feel this calling and it wasn't, it was kind of frowned upon. So for me, it was almost like I was trying to fit in um, all of these accomplishments and found it very addicting once I started doing it. Um, And that's really where that, that journey took me again, back to doing more self-development than fitness. Well, and it's curious. There's, I see the trajectory of so many people in your position in a position of influence who went after success in a certain area and at some point realized there was something they could offer to others and that they mm-hmm. wanted to do that. But yet, even though you had, I don't know if it was a deviation, maybe a valley in between, that's really where you began is realizing this makes me feel better as a person. And now you've come back to that. So, uh, it's usually one of my questions, where was that awakening of, I want to mm-hmm. impart this to others, but for you, that's really the seed that was always there that started mm-hmm. this, that this is, well, I'll ask you that this is a means to an end. Yeah. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and so that is been, so you left, it sounds like you left somewhat of the competition and, and some of those efforts and went full on into the personal development. And I see you today and you're, this is, this is what Ziegler's about. You know, it's the full focus of personal development. Even if you have a muse of health and wellness industry mm-hmm. and fitness or whatever, that at the end of the day, your book covers everything that's in a Ziegler book mm-hmm. of personal development. Uh, so in that though, Mm-hmm. that's a curiosity too. Cause there's a lot in personal development. There's a lot of areas that you're touched by a lot of different initiatives to increase someone's well-being overall. And yet you came to this book, a tribe called bliss mm-hmm. and talking about community and relationship and tribe based on that. I have to assume that that was of a pri- maybe the primary value that as you look at your personal achievement that you attribute it to. Yes. So, you know, I think different when I was thinking of doing a book and it was like a book is crazy, right? It's kind of like you want to put your life in this story and there's so many stories and there's so many things you've learned. You're like, how do I choose what this is going to be? And I actually started writing the book and it didn't come, it started out as just a personal development book, but it didn't come to what it is until I really started writing and seeing this through line through everything. Mm. And I was like, through my entire life, I've been a part of a tribe and it's always been telling me how to think. And if you want to think different, and if you want to choose how you think, you better start choosing a tribe that thinks the way you want to think. Because growing up, what was I a part of, right? We're always a part of them right now. So you're a part of one with your family. You're a part of one at work. You're a part of one with the group of friends that you hang out with. You're a part of one with um, the mentors that you've chosen. You're a part of one with the podcast that you listen to, literally, Um, with the books that you're reading. So when I was a part of that tribe or my family or in the, you know, religious group that I was in, there was 
uh, agreements and there was thoughts that are being reinforced by them at all times. So something that I like to do for people so that you can really understand this is sit and look around at the people who are around you. And I want you to write down what are the thoughts and the beliefs that they have that they are constantly reinforcing in you. Because what can happen is you can go away for a while and you can get a new belief and you can get a new habit. But if you come back to this group and you're always around it, no matter how powerful that habit is, if you're constantly daily being reinforced with the old habit, the new habit's not going to last. It will go away, right? Right down to like our having mirror neurons, like your body wants to do what the people around you are doing and thinking. So looking back, it was like, okay, I was in this tribe. I believed this in there. This is what I was doing. This is what I was thinking. This is what was being reinforced. So when I really wanted to make that pivot, right, I started to um, surround myself around, uh, I couldn't be around the people who were fit yet, right? Because I was really isolated and I wasn't allowed to hang out with people outside of my religion and it was a super small area. So in the transition, I created like, for lack of what we had back then, uh, what would be now an online tribe, I created a tribe with my magazines, with what I was looking at, with what I was reading. I remember I'd be up in my room cutting things out, like cutting out pictures of fitness stuff and fitness people. And I had closet doors that were plastered completely. Like I was vision boarding without knowing it. Wow. So I was trying to do things to stay close to the ideas that I wanted. Yeah. So doing things to stay close to the ideas I wanted. So those people and things became my tribe, which some people don't understand why the, the magazine covers were such a big part of my life is because that was so representative to me carrying around a magazine, looking at it being like, I might be alone, but I know I have this and this person tells me I'm not alone. Um, so that thought and that belief. So that was a tribe before I could get the fitness tribe. But then as soon as I could, I started joining gyms. I, I, uh, started seeking out women who were doing this fitness thing as well. So I joined, um, like one of the first online fitness programs in order to be surrounded by people who thought the same as me. So there were these, um, you know, different groups of people. There were these camps. Uh, I got on a plane for the first time by myself in my early twenties to go to a fitness camp, to be surrounded by this next group of people. And after I went to that fitness camp for the weekend, right. Total immersion into a new set of ideas. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm making a goal to compete. Because I was just around people who believed so differently and they were so certain. And it was, I was poured into that this was so possible for me to become someone who could be good at doing these fitness competitions. That after that weekend, it was like, you know, that was my first real in person tribe of fitness women. And just by having total immersion of that, it changed everything for me. It was like a complete transformation in one weekend. So I started doing that, seeking out, how do I want to think? Like, ooh, that person doesn't seem like they have any limits on them. How do I get around them? Even if I have to pay for their events, like how do I get around them? How do I get in their group? How do I coach with them? How can I, you know, and I became so resourceful because I realized that surrounding yourself with the people who had the ideas that you wanted was how you change your life. Mm-hmm. Obviously you have to create the habits and do the do, but it's about being around that energy first because there's something that just clicks, right? There's something that just says like it, it makes you feel so alive and it's so much truth. It's like feeling your truth for the first time when you're around those people, like 
For the first time in my life, this feels like a full body yes. This feels like why I'm supposed to be here. This feels like my truth. And that's what was happening when I would get around these people. And you can't, you can't ever be the same after that. Okay. So the curiosity though, especially coming from a religious tribe that was, mm-hmm. that was very, that was a tribe that was, that was uh, that was a big deal. So coming from that, coming from a family tribe, not that it was all bad, but with the negatives that you've already talked about the struggles there, it would make plenty of sense. And I would think, I, I think that this is depicted a lot as we look at the movies and the stories out there that you would shun a tribe and go it alone, mm-hmm. lone wolf, do your own thing. And it's curious that instead you recognize the power of it and just decided I'm just going to change the type of mm-hmm. tribe, which we see, you know, it's curious. I am not, uh, I, I'm not a, a huge movie guy. I'm not a huge, um, superhero movie, you know, stuff. I mean, I appreciate them and stuff, but it's interesting as you were talking and I'm thinking uh, it's interesting that recently we have gone from the, you know, Superman, Batman, the, whatever, these lone guys to the Avengers, a tribe mm. that came together. And that's I, so good. well, I wonder if that's a sign <laughs> of the times, you know, we yeah. all talk about this social media and the Uber connection. That's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's just so shallow. And, uh, and yet here you are saying the biggest power that you see coming from a hard tribe, maybe a bad tribe and mm-hmm. negative is the power of tribe. So let's just change it to mm-hmm. a positive. Um, well, which brings us right in and I've got some questions on the book, you know, one right off the bat here, and I know you speak to women and I often hear in the show, I want to speak to everybody and there is benefit. I mean, everybody should read this book, guys and girls, but looking at women in the aspect of community, of tribe, of friends, are there different challenges, rules, whatever you would call them, that are, that are relevant for, for women different than men? I don't think they're different. I think there some areas are more amplified, like okay. how some areas with men, maybe, um, maybe they use more words like ego or things like that, that they can identify with more like ego getting in the way or they avoid people because of you know, maybe their ego being too big or they're too harsh or things like that. Um, Really competitive, but in a different way, right? But women, we have a lot of comparison, a lot of judgment, um, a lot of gossip. And I do know that that happens for men as well. But I want to, I wrote the book really with the voice of speaking to women because we do have a bit more of certain things. And I wanted to pinpoint things that have happened in my life, female specific. And there are a lot of stories with women where we say, Um, I've met so many women who are like, I'm just a guy's girl because women are they're they're too much drama. That's what, that's what we hear a lot. You know, I've been in so many rooms now across the U S and I ask for call outs of how do we, I want to know right now, like, let's get super honest where are we at? Like, let's take a temperature on how you feel about women. And I literally have 300 women call out things to me and they're like, they're catty, they're scary, they're awful, they're judgmental, they compare, they're ruthless, they're, you know, just, I'm like pelted with these horrible words. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's all take a breath wow. because we are women and this is how we feel about each other. Yeah. And so a lot of the book is really talking about looking at, not looking at the lenses that we are looking at our relationships through. Because I know for me, like you had said, you know, you would think someone had lone wolfed it or that you'd lone wolf it. And I did that for so long. 
Um, you know, in between finding these tribes, it's like I wasn't in them all the time. Yes, I would go once every three or four months, you know, in the beginning, but I'd be so lonely in between. Um, you know, isolating yourself. When we isolate ourselves, our stories grow, right? Our shame grows. Everything that we feel bad about really grows. Like, I don't know about you, but when you're having a bad day, if you don't talk about it and you're alone and you're like in your house, like you're probably not going to get better. <laughs> like you need to go out for a walk. You need to hear a podcast. You need to go put yourself in a different environment or I'm going to end up like in the pantry yeah. eating myself into a frenzy. Right. Um, so really about the the lenses that you look at your relationships through you first have to say okay let's be really real about how i'm feeling and for me you know one of my stories about women when i said how do i really feel about female relationships i wrote down um women are draining women are exhausting uh women uh like they don't know how to have boundaries and they suck the life out of me <laughs> okay so I know that a lot of people can resonate with that. And I also know people have a totally different story than that. So I was like, I had to look at what I was doing. Like I had to start taking ownership over what parts of that story could actually be mine. So the reason that I had that was because I was showing up to, let's just call them friend dates. Cause I was trying to make, I moved so much. I moved nine different times and needed to make friends in different cities and so when I moved to California, I was like, okay, let's really look at how I'm showing up on these friend dates. And why do I think these people are exhausting? And I said, all right, so I show up, I ask them how they are. Um, they ask me how I am. So it's not that they're not asking questions. And then I go straight into diving into how I can help them because I can help them and I am a fixer and I get a lot of my worthiness from feeling if I can or can fix someone. Yeah. So what ends up happening is I end up pouring myself out for an hour to two hours on these friend dates, because that's the only way that I feel valuable. And I end up leaving and saying, Oh my God, I should have charged them for that. That was a coaching session. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, next time I'm charging like a thousand bucks. So, so I was like, okay, you are not allowing yourself to get vulnerable. You cannot connect with someone without opening up and saying how you actually feel, which I was like, nope, I'm not going to open up. I'm not going to get vulnerable because in the past, women have hurt me when I've gotten vulnerable. They've had ammo on me, right? It's like, if you open up, they now have something they can use against you. So that was also my story, which I did not realize. So what I had to start doing was when people would say, how are you? I actually had to share how I was and it didn't have to be roses. In fact, the rosier it was, if it was not my truth, if roses are my truth, great. But if it wasn't rosy and that's not my truth, then the only way to connect with another person is to speak your truth, right? To be authentic. And when we're actually being authentic is when we can truly connect with someone. So these women couldn't see me like they couldn't even see me to help me because I wasn't allowing the real me to come through and my real truth to come through. So then when they started asking me, it was like, you know, I mean, I'm not doing that awesome. I'm kind of struggling right now in this area. Life is good here, but here I'm really struggling. So then I had to receive it was like it's giving and receiving. It is 50 50. And what ended up happening was I started to become recharged in most relationships with women when I started to learn how to have that give and take. And also um, a lot of the reason I was feeling drained was because I didn't have boundaries. So I also had to say, ah, I have no boundaries and I'm showing up this way. 
So my story quickly changed because when I changed, it wasn't my truth anymore. The outcome was completely different. So what we do, um, you know, what, what the book is really all about and what I do in these rooms is about let's first take ownership. Then let's, you know, look through some a different set of lenses. Let's create a new set of lenses. Let's see how you're showing up so that you can change it. But let's really look at what good relationships are based off of. They have structure, they have agreements, and they have boundaries for all parties. And most females are really afraid of boundaries. Um, Because a lot of times when we've had boundaries in the past, it can be like, oh, well, you know, that's like we can think that it's it's um, um, not being loving. Like people may not like you if you say no to them, if you're not people pleasing, Um, you know, if you say no a lot to people. So uh, that conversation has been awesome. So when you say. Back to the beginning of, you know, is there certain things more for women? I think it's universal. I think it's men and women. But just from my experience of being able to have so many conversations with women, there are a lot more specifics that geared towards women on, you know, gossip, comparison, boundaries, things like that. Okay. Well, you may have just answered my next question because as I look at the book, I know you have it in three parts. The first one is building community. And so as folks are hearing this and they're saying, I got, I got it. I got it. I'm sold. Yes. I want to build Let's community. Do it. <laughs> Let's do it. And I'm sure that this is a question you get a lot of times. So I'm, mm-hmm. I don't have any brilliance in asking this one, but it is a, a kind of, okay, where do I start? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take a stab at one part of it. As you just described, it sounds like how to win friends and influence people, how to become a friend to begin with. Am I, am I on the right path here for starting? Yes. I I think that you need, you can't go into something and it's not like we can be in the sandbox anymore and be like, let's be friends. And you have school to keep you together. And you have the structure of recess. You have the bell. You're going to stop. Like you have the teachers. If you're stealing toys, like you have, you actually have boundary structure and rules, even on the playground. And what happens in life is later on, we're like, let's be friends. And we're like, that is so scary. (laughs) What does that mean? How long do you want from me? Like how much space are you going to take in my life? Are you going to expect me to do certain things? Do I have to always show up as nice as I was the first day? Do I have to look as good as I did the first time you met me? Like, because this might not be the real me right now. So just so much pressure, right? When we meet. That was a great list right there, by the way. (laughs) Everybody needs to rewind that and listen to that. Everybody can relate. That's perfect. Because like, if you saw the bottom of what I'm wearing, I'm in sweatpants right now. Like this is, that's the real me. So I'm like, you have to remember when we are, when we're meeting people, we don't realize that we're meeting all of their stories and past experiences as well. So if we don't have an intention and a way to make them feel safe and also an out, it's almost like sales 101, right? Like when you're doing a sale, you have to know, um, they have to know so many different things before they purchase, right? Like it can be obnoxious before you buy a car. Some people can milk that for like a week. And you're like, have I answered all of your questions yet? Except when we enter into a relationship, we're like, Oh, you don't really need to know anything about me. We should just have fun because we had fun that one time. Um, So if you really want to start creating an intentional relationship, especially for where you are going, not for where you're at, um, you need to figure out exactly what you want out of it and state that. So for me, what I always try to do is say, what is my intention that why I want to connect with this person? And I'm like, well, I would love to support them on their business goals. I would love to share my resources with them. And I would also 
uh, like them to do the same for me. Um, I think reasonably we're both really busy people. So I think it'd be reasonable for us to meet once a month for probably an hour or maybe two hours if it's just once a month. Um, but the book lays out once a month, every other week. And I think that I would like to meet with them, uh, via Skype or zoom because sometimes it can be really hard. I know she has a lot of kids and to meet in person can be tough and we can just show up in our sweatpants. So this is all before I even connect with someone. Mm -hmm. So when I go and share that invite, I want her to know that I don't need all of her time. I'm not going to get on this, you know, Zoom session and cry to her and want her to coach me. Um, I'm hoping to give her just as much value as she gives to me. So when I go to uh, invite her, a lot of times I find emails the best because they don't have to be face-to-face and you can make it really weird face-to-face sometimes because they don't have an out if they're not comfortable with it. (laughs) So try email, like get someone's contact that you're interested in. And I write, Hey, I think you're amazing. I think you're doing incredible things. I think that we could really support each other in where we both want to go. I would love to see if you're interested in something like this a Zoom session once per month for one hour where we split the time equally. We make sure we never go over the hour. I know that we're busy. Um, Where there's agreements, we both uh, respect each other, speak our truth, um, support each other, share resources, um, you know, all of this structure that if you got this email, would this email be able to close the sale or not? Or would she have a lot more questions? That's what you need to think about. So try to answer every single question and state your absolute truth. And that is how we can enter into really intentional relationships. Now, I'm not saying that other relationships aren't great when you meet friends and you just want to go to wine and you want to have dinner and things like that. But this is something that is I wanted support around my life, around my business, around my relationships. I was craving deep connection and a safe space for it. So I wrote it. We wrote it out. We asked for that. We said that we said, we all talked about where we had gotten hurt before and how, if something like that comes up, we're going to talk through it this time. So we kind of covered every area, but also agreed that if things came up that we didn't know were coming up, that we would talk about them. So you just talked somewhat, I think we were, the perspective was an individual take that same perspective into a group for somebody that wants to gel with a group of, and and I don't know if you have an advice on this, you know, if you're wanting to do life together, I meet every week with two to three guys I have forever. And that's Mm -hmm. what we do. I know other people that meet with, you know, more people or just one person or whatever, but let's look at those who want to do a group. Do you Mm -hmm. take the same concept and just apply it to the group? Same exact concept. It just depends on if you already have the group, um, that you're thinking of that you could email all of them and be like, Hey, I know that most of all of us are strangers here. Here's why I love this person. Here's why I love this person. My tribe that I write about in the book, like we did not know each other. We knew of each other. We had kind of met online, but we were like, you want to do this? There's three of us. And we meet every other week for the past four years. And, um, it's changed my entire life. So yeah, same exact thing. Just add as many people as you want. I do find anything over four or five gets a bit diluted because you can't spend as much time together, really getting to know each other. Um, So I kind of find three, four is a really perfect number if you want to keep it consistent. Um, In person, you can obviously do more, but even that, I had an in-person dinner that was kind of like this the other day. And while it was absolutely amazing, you really only get to connect with about three people. Um, like really go deep with people. And real quick on that, 
I am going to assume the recommendation is if at all possible, do face to face, but you can yeah. do it remotely if, if that's, be, if that's, you know, the only option. Face-to-face is magical. Um, I really only get to see this group of women. Like we went a couple of years only seeing each other once this year. We've gotten to see each other like three, four, five times. I see one of them tonight and one of them next week, which is so awesome. Um, So belly to belly is way better just because you actually get to release some really awesome chemicals in your body as well. (laughs) together. Um, But if, you know, if you can only do online, do zoom or something where you can see their face as well. Okay. Well, section two then in the book, is you talk about agreements and you talk mm-hmm. about seven, seven sacred agreements to make. But in stating that, my curiosity was, are we just adding good agreements? Or are we in some senses also trying to override some negative agreements that generally come into a relationship? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, both, both. So there are good agreements, but then there are things that are going to arise. Um, I, I really wanted to confront the things that blocked me over and over and that I found when I was really having these conversations were blocking other people. Um, and that was gossip. Um, a lot of underneath gossip and taking it personal talks about comparison, talks about judgment, um, talks about all of the really negative things that come up in relationships, even when you absolutely love someone, it's like different parts of your life will, um, can start to, uh, either reflect different things to you, or you can start showing up differently, or you can take things personal, or if you decide that you're not going to, um, be authentic in some area, it's, it's, um, we can twist things, right? We can make up stories in our head. And if we're, if we're not willing to set a boundary or say how we feel, and that's really what this is talking about is I believe the agreements are, I created the agreements to create crystal clear conversation without taking things personal, but really learning how to have crystal clear communication. Um, because you know, my husband can have really crystal clear communication, but it can like really hurt my feelings. (laughs) He's like, Oh, you love crystal clear communication. I'm like, yeah, but when it's nice, um, (laughs) but it's effective. Right. But what I wanted to do was teach that, but take out, learn, um, to take a lot of the emotion out of it, but also learn how to give it, like learn how to finesse that, learn how to say it, because there are certain things we can say that are automatically someone's going to take personal because we said it wrong. So right. it's really learning how to share your truth. Okay. In a sense, again, back to, in a sense, the boundaries again. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, section three then of the book is a new way of belonging to yourself and you focus on self image. And I, I got to say, Lori, in, you know, in my own lifetime, my own experience, but also in interviewing, you know, over well over a hundred influencers like mm-hmm. yourself. Now, I don't see much hope of success or achievement or peace or fulfillment unless we are okay with us. And I'm assuming that's mm-hmm. where you're landing on in the book. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who comes into your life. It doesn't matter what comes into your life. If you are not content with you, if you are not happy with you, if you don't take full ownership over um, your happiness and your dreams or, um, you know, where you want to go, you absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter who's around you, what comes in. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be happy. So, you know, I live in LA and I see that a lot. (laughs) 
(laughs) People can have everything. They can be, you know, have this insanely incredible life that you would, you're drooling over. But if they don't take the time to do the work, to really figure out what they love, what makes them happy daily, have the habits, have the rituals that keep themselves happy. um, It's not, you're not, it's all going to fall apart. Okay. When you mentioned habits there and folks, if you're listening to this, uh, the next, let's see, two shows after this one, you'll hear her habits. Mm -hmm. We're going to walk through that one. So my last question here and the book, uh, came out in May of this year. So we're barely as of recording this right now, about four months out, if, if that, and I know you're touring around the country and I'm always curious when you birth a book, birth a message Mm -hmm. like this. I know you've gotten lots of testimonials. Are there, what are some of the specific ones? You know, if you want to name mm-hmm. one specific one, that's fine. Or if it's the spirit of some of the testimonials you're, you're getting that have been really fulfilling one. And are there, is there some feedback also that has been a little bit surprising that you didn't, gosh, you wasn't, didn't intend that. It's great, mm-hmm. but didn't really intend that. So I'll, I'll put both questions to you. Um, feedback that has been awesome has been, um, that women had no idea what they were missing out on and they had no idea how fast that their dreams or goals could be accelerated once they were in a group. Um, I mean, honestly, we did this really fun thing. So if you, if you look at the hashtag on Instagram, a tribe called bliss, women are uploading their pictures with their tribes after they do a meeting and they're writing their takeaways. And I can, if I go to that hashtag, I just sit and cry because it's the most beautiful thing I've ever read. It's about, um, you know, I had no idea that in one hour I could feel more connected to a stranger than I do to some people in my family. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's because we gave them tracks to run on. And, and we're saying from the beginning, this is how we feel. This is what we agree to. Um, this is how we want to show up. So we're holding each other to a higher standard, which ultimately I believe is what we all want. We all desire that for those people in our life to hold us to a higher standard. And that's been absolutely beautiful. Just hearing the testimonies of what's happening in their life from coming together. Things move quickly, you guys, when you work in a group together. It's like molasses when you're alone, right? We can make things happen. But when you're in a group, it's like you are bringing together all of the resources of all of the people in their life and all of that wisdom and perspective. So it's about moving through the tough stuff as well, because things that used to, um, you know, I hear a lot of things that used to take them down for a month or um, a week is now gone in five minutes or an hour because they tap in, they bring up the story, they share it, they get all that love and wisdom poured in, and then they're ready to go again. Like it's not a thing anymore because they reset you and remind you of who you are and why you need to do what you're doing and why it was something that was just petty or stupid and they shouldn't take it personal or something like that. It's your soft place to land always. Um, Things that have been surprising that have come up are, I think that some, I'm finding that some people either aren't fully reading all of it and stopping on a chapter or like letting their old story get in the way and being like, yeah, but I, I'm not, I'm still not able to find my tribe. Like I hear that a lot. Um, and then I ask, well, how many people did you ask? And they're like, well, I got rejected by one. <laughs> I'm right, like, right. okay, well the book says that I, you know, went on 50 different friend dates and got rejected by like 48 of them, um, you know, before you get yeses. And, you know, I've, I've had to ask hundreds of people to connect to, to get a few. Yeah. 
So that's one thing is you got to be, this is just like anything else. If you do not consistently do it, it's not going to work for you. So I've had a lot of women be like, this doesn't work for me. I'm like, did you, did, first of all, did you finish reading the book? And they're like, no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so um, be relentless. It's like fitness, you know, yeah. tribe works like fitness. You have to, you have to stay connected or you're going to go back to your old ways. So making sure that you show up even when you don't want to, because I'm telling you, I've done my, you know, this group now every other week for four years. And I still, I still don't want to show up. Mine's early in the morning and I'm like, oh God, I don't feel like going deep right now. This is ridiculous. And then the second I get on the call, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did this. I feel like a new woman. Like, why was that other thing even bothering me? My husband loves when I have these calls. He's right. like, thank God. That's great. <laughs> That is a test. That's a big testimony right there. Uh, that's yes. significant. Uh, Lori, I'm, I, it feels so timely for this. Uh, yeah. I think that you're, you're helping us all go out and create our own Avengers group. I'm going to use that. Yes, um, I love that PS. I'm obsessed with superhero movies. So. Are you? Okay. Okay. Well, I want royalties on that one then. So. Uh, but thank you. This is, I'm so stoked to give this to the Ziegler audience. I'm grateful to give it to myself. I'm going to take the book home because last night my wife came home and she said, I'm going to join a girl's group. It just kind of came together. And so I'm going to offer this to them. Uh, so thank you. It's so awesome. Thank you. Well, I'm going to read through it for myself, for my (laughs) own group as well. So we can get better. Thank you for doing what you've done to bring us this message and sharing your personal story as well. It's been a huge gift, Lori. Thank you so much for having me on. Your questions are amazing. And it was such a fun conversation for me. Ah, Thank you. My honor. Okay, friends, I know you got a lot from this show and Lori's message and her heart and her insight. I really encourage you to get the book and study it. It is worthwhile. You'll get a massive benefit from it for your life. Uh, Again, it's a a tribe called Bliss. Get it wherever you buy books, uh, but you can get in and connect with Lori at a tribe called Bliss. If you got value from the show, please let Lori know. Leave a review in iTunes for The Ziggler Show and mention this show and what you got out of it. Folks, uh, a bunch of people have been doing that lately and mentioning our guests. When they do, we copy that, send it to our guests, and they're they're thrilled. I don't care how big of a celebrity they are. They're thrilled because there's usually not a great channel for them to get feedback on how the interview went, what the uh, conversation, what value it gave to people. They're just really wowed. So I just ask you to do that for Lori. Coming up next in show 628, we hear a short message from Zig Ziglar on mindset and the reality that you can't change from a negative mindset to a positive mindset without changing your input from negative to positive input. Well, from that message, I posted this question on Facebook. It's actually a two-part question. One, what are your primary sources of positive input? Uh, Could be people, books, podcasts, music, art, whatever. And then two, what are some primary sources of negative input that you work to avoid? Really wonderful, insightful responses, of course. You're going to come away with a really great list. Uh, I brought Michelle Prince on with me, and we talked through the comments together. You'll gain a lot from the show. Till then, folks, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.